you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. A day that will live in infamy. Many of you know immediately, 73 years ago, before everybody knew where they were at 9-11 and before everyone knew where they were when President Kennedy was shot, there was another day for that generation where everyone remembered where they were when they heard that Pearl Harbor had been attacked. They remember most of you, your parents, telling you the story of what went on there. A day that should not be forgotten and is in the memory of some people personally, but many as it was passed down. Now, today we're going to read about a day that I promise you Joseph never forgot. He could have told you, I'm sure, to the end of his life where he was, what was going on when he got this news. Because like Pearl Harbor, it, it changed him and his life and the course of his life. But not only that, it, it changed the course of all human history. Now, down through the centuries, there have been a lot of thoughts and theories about the virgin birth. A lot of those looking uh, as, to explain the virgin birth, asserting, as one author did, that Jesus it was simply the illegitimate child of a Roman soldier, to people like Hugh Schoenfeld, who wrote the Passover plot, who said Jesus was the natural son of Joseph and Mary. He viewed Jesus as the master conspirator who uh, studied promises and, and spent the rest of his life trying to be that person that fulfilled those promises. But he said there is nothing peculiar about the birth of Jesus. He was not God incarnate. No virgin mother bore him. The church in its ancient zeal fathered a myth and became bound to it as a dogma. No particular proof for that, but that would be his theory. One seminary professor, not of any of the seminaries of our denomination, but one seminary professor said, uh, it really doesn't make any difference whether the virgin birth is true or not as long as it's true in our imagination. That's why I clarified he's not coming from our circles. Richard Dawkins said that the, the stories of the virgin birth and resurrection are scientifically impossible. They were devised long after Christianity developed into a major religion. The, the interesting thing about Dawkins is that he doesn't just say, so just ignore it. 
which it seems to me if something isn't true, that's, that's one of the easier things to do is just ignore it, and surely it'll go away. But instead, Dawkins' approach is he encourages atheists and agnostics not to ignore, but to mock and ridicule those who believe such things. Now, they weren't the first to dispute the virgin birth. In fact, you go to the Scripture and you see the Pharisees. They basically disputed that there was anything miraculous about the birth of Jesus. John 6, 42, they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? See, the Pharisees are saying, there's nothing to see here. He was born just like the rest of us. And even the disciples were confused at times. Matthew 16, Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now here's the question. What's at stake with the virgin birth? I mean, is it okay whether we believe it or not, as long as it's true in our imagination, or we can sing our our Christmas hymns that mention it and, and feel warm about that because we've sang them all of our lives and, and just say, look, it doesn't really matter whether it's true or not. I'm gonna, not going to worry myself about that. Is that how we can deal with it? Well, we need to look at the Scripture. But before we do, let me uh, quote that great theologian, Larry King. Larry King said... Larry King of Larry King Live said this. Uh, he was asked, if you could interview anyone down through history, who would you want to interview? And Larry King said, if I could interview anyone down through history, I would want to interview Jesus Christ. Now, the one asking the question followed up and said, well, what would you like to ask him? And Larry King said this, I'd like to ask him if he was indeed virgin-born. The answer to that question, he said, would define history for me. And then later on, commenting on that, he said, "Uh, I'm not being facetious about that. We affirm the virgin birth in the Apostles' Creed, as Christians have down through the centuries. We affirm it as being true, not a myth, not a story, not something in our imagination, as being a historical fact. And in, if, you, if you think of the, uh, the, the big branches of uh, what would be considered Christendom, and that would be Protestant, 
Roman Catholic and Orthodox, when it comes to the virgin birth, they all come to the same point on that. Now, there are attending um, uh, aspects of theology and doctrines around it that we're going to disagree on. But specifically on the virgin birth itself, there is agreement. What's at stake if we don't believe it? Why of all the miracles in the Bible is this so attacked? In Matthew 1, verse 18, we read this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, let me stop and explain the, 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 the way marriages worked at that point. You had betrothal, which was in that day, it was much more than uh, engagement. Sometimes we refer to it as being like engagement. Well, it was much more than that in, in this sense, that when uh, two people were betrothed, they even called each other husband and wife. They were beginning to move toward the, the covenant ceremony that would take place, and then, which was a public thing after the betrothal. And then after the, the covenant ceremony would be the, the covenant consummation, which we would see those as being the, the uh, marriage and the honeymoon, basically, in our, in our day. So that's why we see this phrase, and her husband, Joseph, verse 19. Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. So, Lord, as we consider this doctrine, this teaching, this which we have declared to be a fact. 
Would you show us in your word? Would you teach us? And then, especially, Lord, today, will you show us just what's at stake here and how it affects us? Wherever we are in our our spiritual walk in this room, would you apply this to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you about three things that are at stake, and there are many. But the, these three aspects are absolutely at stake on the virgin birth. And the first one is the dependability of Scripture itself. The dependability of the Scripture is at stake on the virgin birth. Last week, we talked about uh, what we call the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel way back in Genesis. And we talked about how uh, after the fall that uh, the, the curse was pronounced, but there was also this promise of the gospel and that the rest of the Scripture was fulfilling uh, Genesis 3.15. But I want to take you back just for one aspect in it that is often overlooked in Genesis 3.15, and that's this. It says this, I will put enmity between you, he's speaking to Satan, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I want to focus in where it says, it uses the phrase, her offspring. Now, some of your versions may actually say her seed. Elsewhere in the Scripture and the way that phrase uh, was used uh, in that day, it, it, you never use the phrase her seed or her offspring, it always referred to the seed of the man or the offspring of the man, except for here. What that's saying is even in this promise looking forward, that this birth that was to come would be absolutely unique. It would be unlike any birth before or any birth after because it was her offspring according to this. Now, why is that significant? It was an indication that something special was coming, something, something unique. Now, you fast forward. We're going to fast forward twice. Fast forward to Isaiah 7. In Isaiah 7:14, it says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. By the way, next week we're going to deal with Emmanuel, with the incarnation, with God with us. But, but it, it speaks of, uh, of the virgin that shall conceive. All right? Promised in Genesis 3.15, more specifically promised in Isaiah 
14. Now, let me tell you about this verse because it's a key verse because people, like I mentioned earlier, that want to question uh, the, the virgin birth will, will say, oh, that's just a mistranslation. You know, it's, it, they, they mistranslated it, uh, uh, virgin, and it should have just been a, a young woman there. In fact, here, here's what I do. When people ask me, about newer translations of the Bible or versions of the Bible. If I don't know anything about that particular translation, the very first thing I do is I take it and I open it up to Isaiah 7.14. Because it will say one of two things. It will say what I just read to you, that a virgin shall conceive, or it will say a young woman shall conceive. Which, it's like, uh, if it's a young woman shall conceive, what's the big deal about Isaiah 7.14? But that's what they're saying. So what that tells me is that uh, the translators of that particular version of the Bible are in unbelief, at least in terms of the virgin birth, usually in other areas as well, if they are going to choose that route. Uh, to, to say simply a young woman. The Hebrew word that is used there occurs six other times in the Old Testament, and each time it refers to a virgin. Until recent times, both Jewish and Christian scholars always translated it in that way. Now, there's two words in the Hebrew that could be translated virgin, virgin and the other one sometimes uh, refers to a married woman who has had relations with her husband. That's not the word that is used here in Isaiah 7:14. The promise is that this is what this absolutely unique birth that Genesis 3 is talking about is that it's going to be a birth to a virgin, okay? Then we fast forward again to the passage before us, Matthew 1, verse 20. He considered these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in dreams, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, more explanation of what the birth would be like. She'll bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus. He'll save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what God had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the very integrity of the Scripture is at stake if it was not a, a virgin birth, then the Scripture is an error. In addition to that, the, the uh, integrity of the Scripture being at stake, secondly, the person of Christ as Messiah is at stake in terms of the virgin birth. Luke 2 calls Jesus Christ the Lord. That means the anointed one. It means the Messiah. 
Now, how is he able to come to this earth to be born and yet to be able to go to the cross in a sinless way, which was what was necessary for our salvation? If he'd gone to the cross and he was a sinner, he couldn't have even paid for his own sin, much less for the sin of his people. Jesus needed a divine parent to live a sinless life. Matthew 1.20, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, last week we talked about the fall of man, and our problem was that we are uh, sons of Adam. And so we inherited his sin, but not only that, we act like our father, Adam. Well, here's what happened here, is that that was, that was broken. That was interrupted by the fact that Jesus, in that sense, was not a son of Adam by natural generation. The chain of natural generation from Adam was broken because the father of Jesus was the Holy Spirit. That's why Hebrews 4.15 says he was yet without sin. Now, the question's got to come, uh, well, what about Mary's part in being his mother? I mean, was she a sinner? Well, some have tried to uh, explain that by coming up with, uh, for instance, the doctrine of... uh, uh, the Immaculate Conception. That's not talking about Jesus. That's talking about Mary. And so they were basically saying that she was something totally different as well. And unfortunately, there's a misinterpretation where we see Mary spoken of in terms of her being full of grace. She was not full of grace in terms of being the dispenser of grace. She was the recipient of grace, which made her full of grace. And she even talks about her need for a Savior. So the answer is, yes, she was a sinner. And I have to just simply say, the Bible does not elaborate anymore as to how Jesus could be sinless while born to a sinful mother. But everywhere indicates that he was. So why did he even need to be born of Mary in a natural way? Why why did she even need a role? Well, we talked about his, his need for a divine parent in order for him to be sinless. Jesus needed a human parent to represent and relate to humans. Here's what Jesus had. Here's where he was and what he had. Philippians 2 uh, says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So, He had everything that it is to be God. And he set it aside. 
and he added humanity. He added humanity. Someone called that humiliation by addition. It's a one time where you add something which, and it causes humiliation. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. That's why Mary was necessary. That's why he needed a human parent. So that he would be fully God. He would remain fully God. He took on humanity by virtue of the fact that he was born of a woman. Then the third thing that's at stake, we have the Scripture is at stake, the person of Christ, and our salvation itself is at stake on this doctrine. So, you know, if those thing, three things are true, you need to go back to that professor that said, it doesn't really matter whether it's true or not. You see how serious this is? And you also can see why it's so attacked. So, um, in terms of salvation itself. Remember the disciples' answers about who Jesus is. John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Peter's answer was different. This is what Peter said when, when Jesus said, who do you say I am? What about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. So here's the thing. Peter's response was different because God had revealed it to him. Flesh and blood cannot reach the conclusion that Jesus is the Son of the living God, born of a virgin. You're not going to come to that conclusion just in your own thinking. It's a precious gift from God called faith. The bottom line is that a decision about the virgin birth is a decision about who you believe Jesus is. For Jesus to be God, he must be born of God. God cannot be born into this world by human process. No way for him to continue be fully God and fully man unless he was conceived in that way. So where do you find yourself on this? This question of the birth of Jesus. There's at least four categories. One would be the theorist trying to explain it, like some of the people we talked about. Maybe, maybe you came in that way, maybe you're still that way, saying, well, I think I can explain it, or I can see how they could think that and, and so on. That, that's one category where people, some people uh, remain. Another would be like the Pharisee trying to humanly understand. Nothing to see here. He's just, he's born. We don't see any, 
Anything different? Or maybe like Larry King. Now, I, I, you know, it, it's easy for Larry King to say, you know, history hinges on that. Because you know what? Larry King knew he wasn't going to get that interview. At least not on this earth, okay? So he could say that. Because he knew that it wasn't going to have any impact on him. So I don't know really how curious he is on that. If you find yourself in one of those categories, first of all, I want you to know I'm glad you're here. And I hope you will keep coming. And I hope you will keep uh, taking in what we see as the glorious proofs of these doctrines and what they mean in our lives. But maybe the biggest question is not so much do you believe in a virgin birth, but which virgin birth do you choose to believe in? Let me explain that. John Lennox is a professor of mathematics at uh, uh, University of Oxford, and he is also a a defender of Christianity. He recently debated um, Princeton professor Peter Singer, who is an influential atheist. Let's just put it that way. Lennox challenged uh, the atheist to answer this question. Why are we here? This was how he responded from the atheistic perspective. We can assume that somehow in the primeval soup we got collections of molecules that became self-replicating. I don't think we need any miraculous or, or mysterious explanation. Now, Vince Vitale, who uh, works with Ravi Zacharias, happened to be at that debate. And he said he, said he remembers thinking this when he heard that. How does, uh, you know, how does us somehow getting self-replicating molecules in the primeval soup not count as a mysterious explanation? You all had already thought of that. It sounds a lot like a virgin birth. Cambridge physicist Stephen Hawking's similar thing. This is his explanation for our universe. The universe can and will create itself from nothing. Spontaneous creation is the reason there's something rather than nothing. Why the universe exists. Why we exist. Again, the same question. You know, here's the bottom line. We we live, both believers and atheists, we all live and believe in miracles. The question is this in terms of the virgin birth. Do you want to choose a a, a virgin birth that they they speak of where, uh, you know, it's, it's this impersonal universe that is indifferent to us, where there's no Absolute bottom or design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind 
indifference. That's what they're choosing. Or do you choose the virgin birth of the living God who loved his people so much that he figured out a way to be in relationship with him at great cost to himself. That's the virgin birth of the Scripture. Understand this. God has revealed himself. He is knowable. For those of you who do believe, and that's the fourth category, I want to take it beyond just believing this fact to understanding that it, it, it goes further and for us it should bring comfort. Here it is. If, if Jesus is born of a virgin and is the son of the living God, then several things are true. The Scripture is true. It is true that when God makes promises, He fulfills them the way He says them. And what is further true is what is impossible with men is possible with God. What's impossible? What's impossible is God becoming man, a baby being born to a virgin. If we can believe that, then we can be comforted that one can die for many and a dead man can walk out of the tomb. Larry King was right in one sense. The virgin birth does define history. Our hope rests on the truth that the Son of the living God was born of a virgin, as the Scripture says. Let's bow together. And we thank you for that truth. But even as, as, as Peter, it was necessary for him, this must be revealed by you to us. Will you do that? Will you apply it? Will you bring us comfort? We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.